0: Welcome to Graceway's Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. In this week's episode, Pastor Tim Dunn shares the transformative power of forgiveness and the importance of biblical confrontation. Through biblical confrontation, we gain a deeper understanding of ourselves, others, and our relationship with God. So we are in week four of a six-week series First three weeks, we talked about what we need to understand about forgiveness. And it's so important because your beliefs are going to produce your behaviors. If you're like, what, what, do, I, what do I believe? I'm not sure what I believe. Just look at what you do, and you know what you actually believe. And, and, and we are in this time right now as a culture. We're not the most divided we've ever been, but we're pretty divided and, uh, and, and I'm afraid that as Christians, we don't really believe uh, that forgiveness is a central theme to our faith. We don't believe it because we don't do it. And maybe we don't do it because we don't know how to do it, but it's important for us to just say, what do I need to know about God, need to know about me before I try to do anything? So we, we talked about three things that are true about forgiveness. We said forgiveness is vertical before it's horizontal. Forgiveness is really a, 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 an act of obedience. It's about God before it's about you. It's about God before it's about them. And, and if you're trying to get forgiveness to get something out of it, uh, you're going in the wrong door. We, we are a forgiving people by God's grace and for God's glory. We obey him and because he tells us to do it. Come on, say amen to that. And any benefit we get is the fruit of our obedience. So we start vertically, not horizontally. Secondly, forgiveness isn't first, how do I do it? It's first, who, whose example do I follow? The Bible says that we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. Forgive the way that Jesus forgave. Forgive the way that God forgives us. We come to... Other people sin against us in the same way that we come to God for our sin. God deals with our sin by his grace, and God gives us the grace to deal with their sin and its effect on us. It's a gospel issue. Forgive as you've been forgiven. And then last week we talked about justice, which is a tough one. It's a tough one, but in the Bible, justice isn't punishment. And justice that isn't loving is neither just or loving. Justice is really the beginning of reconciliation. Sometimes God uses consequences to bring us to a place where we're prepared to reconcile and to forgive and to restore. Justice is an important element of that, but it's not a cul-de-sac, it's an, it's an avenue, okay? So I want to talk over the next three weeks, three things to understand, and then three things that we're called to do if we're going to be a forgiving people. But before I get to that, I, want to, I just want to, I want to declare something over you, Okay? Here's what I want to declare, that there are things that the enemy wants to do to you. John 10 talks about this, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It says, this, this is what he's trying to do, there are things the enemy wants to do to you, there are things that happen in our life, things that people do to us because we live on this side of eternity in a broken world, that the aim of the enemy is to steal something from you to kill you. To destroy you. And at the very same time, God takes the same things the enemy is using, trying to do something to us. He uses the very same things to do something for us. I hope that you believe that. I hope that you believe that God can use the rough things in your life for His glory and your blessing. I hope that you know that, that even this, even them, even the thing that occurred, God still has plans for it. God can still, can still redeem it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we say about these things? What do, you want, what do you want me to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There it is. That's right. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. Who should separate us from the love of Christ? he goes through a list. Should tribulation, should distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, or this, what you're processing, the hurt that you're processing, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, that's not how it is. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm here today to tell you that in Jesus your days of being a victim are over. I'm here to tell you that Yes, it happened. Yes, it's brutal. Yes, it was wrong. But you're not a victim in Jesus. You're a victor in Jesus. That's who you are. It's who you are. And if you try to go into forgiveness without the identity that you have in Jesus, you're going to get it backwards. You're going to struggle. I want you to know you're not a victim. Even if they intended to make you one, you aren't one in Jesus. Come on, somebody. Say amen to that. And at the very same time, I want you to understand that your healing, the healing that God has for you, Is going to take time and intentionality. Now, why do I say that? Because there is a lie going around that time heals all wounds. And let me just tell you, that is not only incorrect, it's just flat out stupid. Time makes wounds infected, not better. And if you are walking around thinking, if I just ignore this long enough, it will go away. Baby, that's how gangrene gets started. And at the very same time, if you're ever going to walk out of the jail cell of bitterness and wrath and anger and rage, it's going to take some intentionality. You're going to have to take some steps. It's going to take intentionality over time for you to get free, for you to get well. It's not going to happen immediately. You didn't get into that jail cell overnight. It took some time. And God intends to walk you out, but it's going to take some time and it's going to take some intentionality. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk today about doctor's orders for our hurts, doctor's orders for our hurts. When I was a, a younger man, let's say, I was uh, at Thanksgiving dinner with a mentor, father figure, he ended up married, marrying my wife and I. We were over at his house for Thanksgiving dinner and his son-in-law and I were about the same age. We looked across the street and there were some guys playing football and we thought to ourselves, what could go wrong, right? So we walked across the street and we said, hey, can we play, what are y'all playing? And they were playing tackle football and we figured this is at least better than watching the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? And so we we were playing for a little while and things were going reasonably well And, and I was playing some version of tailback or halfback. I'm faster than I look, all right? Or I was faster than I look. And I remember, you know, the quarterback, you know, 3-2-1-go, I kind of ran out to the flat, caught a screen, saw the guy playing some version of middle linebacker coming at me, and I thought I was going to give him the dead leg. You know what that is? Like, oh, you know what I'm saying? And uh, it worked beautifully. He was past me, except he did one of these and clotheslined me. Right across my face. Yeah, which made me mad because I was about to put seven on him. Come on, somebody. <laughs> So, you know they say all the stories get better the older you get? Yeah. That's not the case here, okay? So about 20 minutes later, my buddy comes up, and he's like, hey, man, I think it's time that we go. I was like, why? What time it is? He's like, does that have anything to do with the time? I'm standing behind you, and you're swaying. I said, I am? And he said, yeah, you are. Let's go inside. I got inside. I looked at my nose the beginning of a double black eye. My head was ringing. I said, you know what? I think I might need to go. We went to the emergency room. I had a broken nose and a severe concussion. Okay, look, look. My brain is way too big to struggle with the multiple concussions that I've had, all right? And my nose is far too handsome to be ruined by someone clotheslining me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all are looking at me like, what, what, what's happening right now? I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Uh, the doctor on that evening, he said, hey, I got some, some protocol to help you with your concussion. I, I don't want you to sleep through the night. I want you to, okay. Uh, whenever somebody gets hurt, uh, we go through a, through a protocol. We, we figure out something's wrong, my knee hurts, my ankle hurts, my whatever, and, and our mind goes through a protocol. Now, now, here's what's interesting. Whenever you identify that wound, you initially identify it and then begin to deal with it quietly. Kids scream when they're hurt. Adults are like, oh, right? Yeah. Okay? And then we go home, and what do we do? We put ice on it, we elevate it, we take Tylenol and have a couple whiskeys, and I'm just kidding. We don't do that. You do that. I don't do that. Okay. Um, we have a protocol that, that we go through. Now, now watch. In the spiritual and the emotional, it's the same. It should be the same. A, a wound occurs, and I should have a theological protocol that I go through. That's what I was trying to give you in those first three weeks. And so something happens, somebody damages me, somebody hurts me, and I go home and I say, oh man, that's sticking with me longer than I thought that it was going to. That's hurting me deeper than I, and we begin to process it. And as a Christian, we process through what God says is true. Okay, that hurts, but I'm a forgiven person. Yeah, that that, that hurts, but I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm called to forgive as I've been forgiven. God, thank you for forgiving me. God, I want to be forgiving. God, you deal with my sin and their sin, and you deal with the effects of both of our sin. I'm not free to pursue revenge. Justice is loving and moving us toward reconciliation. I go through this grid. This is the reason that I give it to you. I'm trying to be a good pastor to you, so that when you get hurt, you have a way to deal with the tweaks and the bumps and bruises in your soul. If you don't have a protocol, you're just walking around with a limp, not realizing that you're making it worse. This is the reason theology and doctrine is so important to us. In the absence of it, we get ourselves more damage. At the very same time, if you go home, you go through the protocol, couple Tylenol, elevate it, ice it, and it doesn't work. You get up the next morning, it hurts worse, and you say, oh, babe, I think I need to go to the doctor. That's right. And the same is true in the spiritual and in the emotional. There are certain times where someone's going to say something, they're going to do something, you're going to run it through your theological grid, and you're going to brush it off your shoulder, so to speak. There are other times where it's going to be a little bit deeper for whatever reason. You're going to be more damaged, you're going to be more triggered, and you're going to have to go through the healing process that the great physician prescribes to you. So what is that? What is that? Doctor's orders for our hurts. The first step in healing is humility. The first step in healing is humility. Listen to Psalms 51. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Now watch. I come home. It's still hurting. They said it. They did it. They gossiped. They slandered I'm struggling to have my normal protocol work. I go to the heavenly emergency room and I say, God, create in them a clean heart. <laughs> See, part of the reason that we're stuck is that we want God to start with them and not with us. And God is always going to oppose pride and he's always going to exalt humility. And so I go to God, I go into the emergency room as it were and I say, God, here's the deal. I'm, I know that my heart's not right about this. Uh, My feelings are hurt, my heart is hurt, my thinking isn't right, and therefore my spirit around it isn't right, and Lord, I'm here for you to address me. I humble myself before you, even though I'm hurt by them. Romans 12 and verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. Don't do it the way that the world does it. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. My behavior follows my beliefs. Change your mind and you'll change your life. That by testing, you might discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so here's the first step. I humble myself before God and it puts me on a path toward healing. How does it work? God, I need to have my mind changed about this. Now, if you're not willing to do that, if you think that you're right, if you think your perspective is the only one, you're never going to go to God and ask him to change your mind. You won't humble yourself and think through... Is it possible I'm not seeing this right? Is it possible that the hurt is changing my perspective? So I humble myself before God, and I say, God, I need you to change my mind. God, I want to see this your way. I need to see this your way. Right now, I see it my way, and it's creating these things in me that I can't get adjusted or stabilized. I need to see this your way. I need to see me your way, God. Right now, I'm seeing me my way, and it makes sense to me... (laughs) But I feel stuck, so I want to see this, I want, I, want to, I want to see myself the way you see me, and God, will you help me to see them the way that you see them? And I need you to understand something. This change, this process, is what God is doing for you. Don't miss this. You say, well, how could this thing that God, that, this process of going to God in myself, how could that be the thing that God is doing for you? Because God is shaping you so that he can give you something. When I go to God and humble myself, even if it was predicated by a hurt, when I go to God and say, God, would you shape my mind, change my mind, change my heart, listen, you are saying, even though they meant it for my evil, I believe that you mean it for my good, but I have to see it the way that you see it to receive what you want to give me. This is why we start with you're not a victim, because a victim puts you in a posture and a perspective that keeps you stuck. But when I go and I say, God, I think you even have plans for this. And I need to know what they are, and I need to be who I need to be to receive what you have for me, so I need you to change me. Here's the reality of it. You won't just be able to forgive them. You'll become a forgiving person. So watch. You go through this process, and somebody damages you or somebody hurts you, and you humble yourself before God. And you say, God, I need you to change my perspective. And God gives you the ability to forgive them, but you're not really done because he's changed you that not only were you able to forgive them, that next time they damage you, you're a forgiving person. And you don't have to go through the same process. You don't have to go through the same process. God has changed who you are. The blessing is in the change. It's in the transformation. And God uses the damage they intended for you for his plans and purposes for you. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing, but watch, if you're a victim, you're not gonna go through it, and if you're right, you're not gonna go through it. But we're followers. We're sons and daughters, and so we come to God, and we say, God, this hurts, man. This hurts, I'm having trouble putting weight on it. I'm I'm having, it's, it's, it's bothering me in my soul. Will you change how I'm thinking about it? Will you change how I'm moving? Will you change who I am? Will you make me something that I wasn't going to be without me humbling myself before you around this? Your healing is connected to your humility. And then secondly, is empathy. It's empathy. Now watch, you aren't worried about empathy when you're right, are you? I'm not worried about how it makes you feel. You need to figure out how to agree with me and then we'll both be fine. But when I humble myself before God, watch what happens. I go into God's presence very right, and I come out of God's presence having received unconditional grace. Have you ever gone into God's presence right, and then he starts talking back to you, and you're like, oh. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it like that. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about about my own brokenness. I was just thinking about their brokenness. I hadn't thought about my own self righteousness. I was just thinking about theirs. I hadn't thought about their perspective. I had just thought about mine. I hadn't thought about, about forgiving them. And thank you for reminding me for how much you've forgiven me. Huh, interesting. I'm, you never worry about the other person until you have a vertical experience with God. So in Galatians chapter 6, it says something really powerful, really, really powerful. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, so just take the circumstance that you're processing right now. And, and, and at worst, it's sinful, and at, and at best, it's not helpful. But there's some struggle. We're sideways in some way, shape, or form. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, spiritual, in a spirit of gentleness. Now, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stipulations in here for restoration, isn't there? First off, you identify the sin. Secondly, you are a spiritual person, you're spirit filled. Thirdly, you're able to address it in a spirit of gentleness. Fourthly, you're sober enough to look at yourself before you talk about them. Fifthly, you're capable of bearing their burden on top of the ones you already got. And sixthly, what is, sixthly, not a word, but you get it, what is the law of Christ that he's talking about? Lots of stipulations. If somebody's damaged you and you say, I'm not spiritual, spirit-filled, then you should be quiet. If, if somebody's damaged you and, and you're spirit-filled, but you don't have a spirit of gentleness, you should wait until you do. If, if, if somebody's damaged you, and you're spirit-filled, and you have a spirit of gentleness, but you're not willing to look in the mirror, you should wait until you're willing. If somebody's damaged you, and you're spirit-filled, and you have a spirit of gentleness, and you're willing to look in the mirror, but you're not able to bear their burden, you should keep your mouth shut. You get the idea? So what is this law of Christ? Just a couple verses Earlier, Paul answered this. For the whole law, Galatians 5 and verse 14, is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. All of those stipulations are boiling down to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is a very interesting thing. There's two ways for us to operate relationally. We can either destroy and devour one another or we can love one another as we love ourselves. What's happening in our culture right now? I mean, we even have platforms dedicated to it. We're destroying one another, but not willing to do the antidote to the destruction. And here's, here's the reason this series is really important, guys, is because, because the church is doing this too. You know, you come through COVID and you watch, you watch Christians smashing Christians and churches smashing churches and division happening and... And, and things pulling apart, and we're all right, and you're all wrong, and we're up here, and you're down here, and God says, actually, you're all wrong. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. There are only two ways to do this thing. So what, what does it mean for you to love your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? In this case, the one who's offended you. How, how do I love them as, as I love myself? Well, here's the first. After I have humbled myself, And found some healing, I'm then able to process some empathy, which is very simply this. Can I get to a spot where I understand why you said what you said or did what you did? I ask that question. I don't like it. It still hurts my feelings. It still hurt our relationship. But can I go through a process where I say, I see how you got there? And you're not going to be willing to do that if you aren't willing to humble yourself in the presence of God. You're not going to get to a spot of empathy before you get to a spot of humility. But once you get into the presence of God and understand how broken you are and how gracious God is, it's a little easier to look at them and go, okay, I understand. I see. I see where you're coming. I just don't like it. But I, but I can understand. And then here's the second question. and it's, it's regardless of the first. If you were them right now, how would you want to be treated? If... if if what they did is you can't figure out a way to understand. I don't understand how you got there. I don't like how you got there. I'm trying to be empathetic. I can't get there. Fair enough. How would you want to be treated if you had done what they did and, and needed grace? And needed for you? How would you? That, that's what, that's what Scripture is talking about here. And this is a very different process than most of us do. Very different process than most of us do. Most of us don't think about forgiveness requiring humility and healing and empathy and it taking time and intentionality. So we start with humility. We go to empathy. And then thirdly, and these are sequential, thirdly is confrontation. Now, if you flip the order here, things go sideways, if you flip the order, it, 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 it doesn't go well, and, and the reality of it is, for some of you, I just say the word confrontation, and you're like, why are you yelling? <laughs> why do we have to talk about this? I don't know why you would do this to us, Tim, and for others of us, we're like, come on, bring it, right? Some of us are terrified, and some of us are a little too good with confrontation, if you know what I mean. So so let me help you here. Uh, Confrontation is the result of forgiveness and the beginning of reconciliation. Confrontation is the result of forgiveness. What does that mean? It means that I forgive you or I am forgiving you, so I am open or able to talk about what our future together might look like. That's what it is. Now, please understand, uh, forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing in the Bible. I'm open, I have forgiven or I am forgiving, to reconciling, separate things. There's more that needs to be done once you've forgiven somebody for you to reconcile with them. Forgiveness just takes you, reconciliation takes both of you. We're going to talk about that next week. But we go to somebody when we confront them and we say, I have humbled myself before God healed to such a place, have enough empathy that I am in the process or coming near, forgiving you, and I am open to, and that's the point that we should talk. That's the point that we should talk. Why do we need to talk? Because our hearts need justice. Because our hearts need justice. And so we need to talk about what happened and where we are so that justice can predicate reconciliation. Why can't we sweep it under the rug when somebody hurts us? You might be able to if you run through your protocol and you say, oh, it feels better this morning. Then you don't have to say anything. But you wake up and it's still hurting you. Why can't I sweep it under the rug? Two reasons. Number one, because it delays healing. And number two, because it invites a reoccurring offense, it delays healing. Whenever I just ignore it, have you ever had that thing that you're like, this is probably not good. I remember a few years ago, I had an infected tooth and I thought, eh, it'll just go away until I went to the doctor and he had to pull it and said, this is the most infected tooth I've ever seen in 23 years. So if, time doesn't heal all wounds. I just sweep it under the rug. He, sweep this infection under the rug. We'll figure it out. No, you won't. No, you won't. And you're just inviting the same sin coming back again and again and again. Why? Because injustice has to be confronted. Sin has to be confronted. That's why we talk about sin being brought into the light. If you leave sin in the dark, it doesn't get less powerful. It gets more powerful. And so why don't we just ignore it? Because we want to be well. Because we want to be healthy. And because God tells us to deal with our sin. Leviticus 19, verse 17. Don't hate your brother in your heart, but reason with him frankly, lest you incur sin because of him. Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Here's what Scripture says. If you can't go, you probably need to go back to the beginning of the protocol. If I can't confront... I need to go back. If I won't confront, I'm in active and open sin. That's what Scripture says. Reason with them frankly, lest you incur sin because of him. We think if I ignore it, I'm just oh, I'm just not making a big deal. No, no, no. You're sinning. You're sinning. That's what that's what that's what God says. Okay. So before I confront somebody, uh, I've humbled myself before God. I've found healing, and what has happened? My mind has changed and my heart has moved at the emotional level. I'm not as mad. Or I, I've added to where I was. I'm still mad, but I'm also I'm doing a little bit better. You hear the difference? So I, I've emotionally moved in my mind. I've emotionally moved in my spirit before I go and talk to the person, before I go and confront. Now, my experience is that most confrontation happens from the place of the offense. I feel the exact same that I felt then. I feel the same now. Actually, I've had a little bit more time to get more mad about it. And I've talked to some other people, and they give me some language to tell you why what you did was so messed up, right? So if my heart and my soul are in the same place, I should be quiet and let the great physician continue to heal me as I continue to humble myself. I can't confront from a place of anger. Why? Because anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. James 1 and verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is what we think. If I could just say what I think, they'll understand and we'll be good. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. You have brokenness. They have brokenness. You yell your truth at them and hope that it will produce reconciliation and righteousness. And God says, let's just stop right here. Your anger doesn't produce my plans and purposes. You have to experience some healing before you go to them. You have to hear from God before you confront them. You have to be spirit-filled. You have to have empathy. You have to believe God is working in and through some things and has called me to do this, not my way, not the world's way, his way. That's what God will bless. Okay. So that's confrontation generally. Let's talk about biblical confrontation practically. And I'm going to be as extremely pragmatic as I can with you right now about confrontation because... A lot of us don't mind doing it, and we do it wrong, and a lot of us are freaked out to do it, so we don't do it. Okay? So biblical confrontation practically, let's be clear about this, is the opposite of gossip and slander. Biblical confrontation is the opposite of gossip and slander. Matthew 18 and verse 15, go between you and him alone. We do this incorrectly all the time. So when you study gossip and slander in Scripture, the biblical definition of gossip is foolish or malicious spreading of information. Okay? In, in gossip, the information is neutral. It's not good, it's not bad. It's just that who you're telling it to doesn't need to know it. There's a phrase that Paul uses. He, he, said, he, he refers to Gospers as busybodies. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? Did you know? It's not the information. It's they don't need to know. They don't have anything to do with it. All you're trying to communicate is, look at me. I know something. God says, that's not what we're talking about here. Slander in, in, in the Bible is a false report about behavior that's intended to portray somebody poorly. Okay, now what do you mean by false? It means you, it's just flat out not true. It's a lie. Or you haven't confirmed that it's true. Here's how this works. Um, you know, I talked to my friend. I said, hey, um, I don't know if you heard the thing about Will. <laughs> what I heard, what I heard was that he... Now, you didn't hear this from me, but, right? Yeah, that's slander. So, so what does scripture say? There are certain things that even if it's true, they don't need to know. Don't gossip. There are cert- other things that either aren't true or that you don't know are true. You should keep your mouth shut. Okay, now, it's funny to me how the church creates this hierarchy of sin. Okay, so sex stuff, very, very, very bad. Okay, even though the Bible says it's very, very, very good in certain contexts. One context, not certain contexts. Huh? Huh? All right. But, but we come over here and we talk about, like, greed and obesity and gossip, like, no big deal. Sex stuff, really, really, really bad. Greed, obesity, and gossip, eh. So So let's go to Scripture and let's say, what does God, what does God say? about gossip and slander are you with me that that seems seems reasonable so in Romans chapter one uh Paul is articulating a mindset that is anti-God an atheist mindset if I if I were to put it simply in Romans 1 and verse 28 and since they these individuals did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a to a debased mind whoa okay we're doing it I guess to a debased mind, to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are... Uh-oh. Whoa, wait. wait, wait. <laughs> a debased mind that commits murder is the same factory that gossips. That's what God says. Slanders. Haters of God. Listen. Slanders is separated from hating God by a comma. That's how serious God takes this. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience, apparent, amen, said all the parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree... That Those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Second Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about coming to see the church in Corinth. And he says, I fear that perhaps when I come, I might not find you as I wish. <laughs> I want to come, but I'm a little nervous about what I'll find, and that you might find me not as you wish. That perhaps there might be quarreling, in church huh. what a crazy thing jealousy in church anger in church hostility in church slander gossip conceit and disorder in church that ain't that that ain't even the overhand right are you ready for it Psalm 101 and verse 5 whoever slanders his neighbor secretly i will destroy Leviticus 19, 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Wow. That, that, that's, that's pretty intense. Biblical confrontation is the opposite of gossip and slander. Now, here's one that I've, I've heard recently. Um, I wasn't gossiping, I was getting counsel. okay let's talk about that for a minute i want to be a good pastor to you that person that you're getting counsel from uh was that part of your relationship before this event that they counseled you that you found them to offer good biblical christ-exalting wise and humble counsel on other events or was this prospectively the first time or were you just gossiping Is this person walking with God currently? Not used to, but currently? Is this person somebody who submitted themselves to God and to God's Word? Is this somebody who wants not what you want, but wants what God wants for you? If not, you're probably slandering, not getting counsel. Is this person biased? Bias towards you or unable to hear both sides because you're only telling them your side and they have no idea who the other person is except for what you're saying about them? Well, well Proverbs says that wisdom happens when you hear both sides. And if you're not affording that, it's both foolish and not counsel. It's gossip or slander. Fourthly, <laughs> getting counsel is more about listening than it is talking. And so if you called to get counsel and did all the talking, it's probably because you're gossiping and slandering, not getting counsel. Fifthly, if your counselor doesn't disagree with any of your points, they're either a terrible counselor or you're gossiping and slandering. And God says, don't forget, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. We're not afraid enough when it comes to gossip and slander. We're not afraid enough in the church. We don't take seriously enough the things that we say, even though Proverbs says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we go around telling people who have no business knowing and go around saying things that either aren't true or we don't know are true, and we split the body of Christ wide open so that we feel important in what we know. And we call it counseling. It's not counseling. It's sin, and you need to stop. If an offense has occurred, you need to go to your brother alone, alone, meaning by yourself, meaning no one else. Biblical confrontation is four things. Biblical confrontation is hopeful. It's, it's hopeful, and so, so here's how this works. Let me, let me, let me run you through the process. A, an offense occurs, you go home, you identify the offense quietly. You run it through your theological protocol, you take the ibuprofen, you elevate it, you put ice on it, you wake up in the morning, Ah, yep, still there, maybe a little worse. You get yourself in that spiritual emergency room before the great physician and you say, God, I'm here today to talk about me, not them. I'm here today for you to change my mind and my heart and my perspective because I want what you say is best even though I'm hurt by them right now. I'm going to humble myself before you and if if this injury is actually from me, then I want to repent of that before you and I'll go ask their forgiveness later. I go through that process of healing and humility and I get to a spot where my heart is opened and big and well enough that I can begin to consider their perspective on things. And I can begin to consider how I would want to be treated if I were in their seat. And once I get to that spot where my heart is healing and I either have forgiven or I am in in process of forgiving, I go to them alone. And I start in this way. I want you to know how much this relationship means to me. I want you to know that even though right now we're at odds, you're important to me. I love you. I respect you. I want our future together to be well, enjoyable to both of us, and glorifying to God. I'm here because I hope that that's where God's going to lead us in this process. Secondly, biblical confrontation is honoring. I show up, I'm hopeful, and I say, I know that you are, and I say all of the good things that I know about them. Why? Because you've been meditating on all of the bad things that you know about them. And it's redemptive for you and for them, for you to say, I know that you love the Lord. I know that you walk with God. I know that you want God's best. I know that you're a generous person. I know your testimony. I know I'm here to express honor, and I'm here because I'm hopeful that God's at work in both of our lives. Thirdly, biblical confrontation is humble. It's humble. I know that I, whatever God told you you did, not the safe version, not the sanitized version, the actual version. I want you to know that even though my feelings were hurt, I was a part of this. And I said this, I did this, I believe this, I acted on this, and I can see how you felt. Now, you can't say any of those things if you haven't done that ER protocol that we're talking about. You're not going to say, I am here hopefully, I'm here to honor you, I'm here to own my stuff if you haven't humbled yourself before God. You can't say, I can see how, if you haven't sought to love your neighbor as yourself because it hasn't crossed your mind. And so biblical confrontation is hopeful, it's honoring, it's humble, and then lastly, it's honest. Now what do I mean by honest? I mean, it's not exaggerated. Every time this happens, you always, I've never, it's not honest. It might be how you feel, but if you're walking into that meeting locked and loaded with the nevers and the always, it's probably because you haven't yet forgiven. And it's probably because you've taken something and made it singular, one-dimensional, The reason you lied is because you're a liar. You've always been a liar. Every time I talk to you, you lie. Everybody knows you lie. You want to (laughs) reconcile? Next, it's not sharp. I'm saying this as softly as I know how. I'm not going to generalize this. I'm going to talk about this. This instance. This thing that occurred. I'm not going to talk about, and this is really a pattern between, nope. I'm here to talk about this. It's not character bombing, I'm taking your behavior and talking about your motives or talking about your, it's none of those, here's how it sounds. I need you to know that when you fill in the blank, it made me feel fill in the blank, and it led to me fill in the blank. And I'm here because I want our relationship to be well. I'm here to tell you that I'm sorry. I'm here to honor you. I'm here to be honest, and I'm here believing that God has good things for both of us, and I want us to experience them together. Now, what has to be true about you for you to be not, not only willing but able to do that? You have to believe some things about forgiveness. You have to have God gotten you to a place over time and with intentionality. For you to humble yourself, for you to think about them, for you to process what's true, for you to work up the courage to go not how you want to go, not for revenge, but for truth and for reconciliation, and for you to go not to them, but with them and for them. You say, I'm not there yet. Fair enough. Then God needs to continue to be at work in your heart, because that is God's will for you in this. Henry Cloud is a well-known Christian author and counselor. His most famous book, which I would recommend, is a book called Boundaries. I encourage you to read it, but I don't think it's his best book. I think his best book is is called Integrity. And in it, he says that the church misunderstands the biblical concept of integrity and it makes it entirely moral. So integrity is you don't drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls that do. There, you have integrity, right? Right. He says, that's actually not the way that the Bible talks about it. He uses the example of a bridge. He says, when a bridge falls apart, we say that it lost its integrity. That it stopped being able to do what it needed to do. He says, that's actually the biblical definition of integrity, the ability to do what needs to be done. God says, you're facing a moral integrity issue with somebody who's hurt you. And what I need from you is I need you to do what needs to be done. I need you to humble yourself before me. I need you to get healing. I need you to love them as you love yourself. And eventually I'm gonna need you to go to them and I'm gonna need you to understand that justice isn't punishment. Justice is the first step in reconciliation and that I saved you and I want you to forgive them as I've forgiven you. And I want you to understand that that bridge that's been broken or burned, your job is to rebuild it step by step. Your job is to do what needs to be done and put brick in front of brick and step in front of step. And even if they won't help you, I'm building something in you that couldn't be built in you without this. And you can trust me. I'm your provider. I'm your protector. I'm your forgiver. I'm your savior. And I'm doing something in you so that I can do this through you. Let's pray. God, we love you today and I thank you for your word on this. God, I know these are hard things because I know they represent us dealing with brokenness and that's hard for us, Lord. It's hard for us to respond in humility to somebody else's sinfulness. It's hard for us to think about confronting sin. It's hard for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. let alone love our enemies. But Lord, these are the things that you call us to, and these are the things that you're shaping in us through the gospel, through the personal work of Jesus. So God, would you give us courage? Would you give us vision? Would you give us hopefulness to trust you in this spiritual emergency room around our hearse? And as you're healing us, would you be healing our relationships and our society and our church and our city and all the ways that you say the church is supposed to be involved? We love you today, God. We thank you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.